Well, uh, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you open it to Colossians chapter 3? My name is Brenton Wade, and I have the honor of preaching God's Word this morning. And this morning, we continue in a series called The Church in All Her Beauty. We began the series two weeks ago by looking at the importance and the beauty of the church in the life of the believer. Uh, Pastor Greg uh, stressed the great importance of the church in our lives, uh, that we are part of the local church. Last week, we began to look at the first of five responsibilities that we have in the church. And that's how the rest of the series will go. We'll be walking through these five responsibilities that we have as part of the church. And so last week, we looked at the responsibility for us to grow spiritually. And again, Pastor Greg walked us through uh, really looking at the definitive source of spiritual growth in the life of the Christian, which is the Word of God. We looked at the uh, historicity, the reliability, the inerrancy of God's word and the importance of it being the source of our spiritual growth. Well, this morning, we move to the second of those five responsibilities, and that is, in the title of this sermon, Love Forgivingly. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12 through verse 14. This is the very words of our God. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. As we approach it, we ask that your spirit would open our eyes to see the truth that we need to see in it. Lord, speak to us, shape us, mold us into people that look more like your son. We ask for every help in this time, and we pray that you would be glorified in it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of qualities or characteristics do you want to be known for? At the end of our lives, at each of our funerals, it will not likely be the accomplishments in our work, the amount of money that we made, or the hobbies that we were most interested in. That will be the things that are talked about by our loved ones. It will most likely be our character the kind of person that we were, the kind of characteristics that we have. And as the church, Vero Bible Fellowship, 
this local community of Christians, the virtue that the Bible puts before us as the chief and primary virtue of the Christian life is that of love. We are to be characterized by love. Really, I could stop the sermon here. <laughs> You've heard the main thrust. We are to be people of love. We are to love one another. But I've got a lot more I want to say. And so we are going to look at Colossians 3, verses 12 and 14. And I want us to see five aspects of Christian love in the church from these verses. This is not the world's definition of love. This is not an arbitrary de definition of love. This is not some undefined feeling of love. This is Christian love, defined by the Bible. And this is love that is to characterize God's church. And so let's look together at five aspects of Christian love in the church. The first thing that I want you to see in this, these verses is the intentionality of love. Let's look again at verse 12, the very opening words. Put on then. Put on then. Now this language, this word could be translated as clothe yourselves. Like the act of putting on a piece of clothing. What is Paul getting at here? Well, we just jumped into the middle of this letter but Paul has been addressing many false teachings that were spreading throughout the church in the city of Colossae. There were several different things going on. Some of them were that you had to follow certain human traditions or regulations that people were imposing upon one another. We see marks of what might be specific spiritual experiences that some were saying others had to have to be a true and genuine Christian. But when we look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, Paul brings these discussions to a head when he says, these things have an appearance of wisdom. Right? These certain man-made human traditions that people are imposing on one another, it has the appearance of being wise. Asceticism is another one that we see prevalent there. These hyper-spiritual experiences, sensuous experiences, as it says, they have the appearance of being wise. But chapter 2, verse 23, the very last sentence, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, a.k.a., uh, they are of no value in actually helping believers fight against sin and look more like Christ. And so what are we then to do to do those things? Well, Paul lists three things here that I think are interesting. At the beginning of chapter three, he says that we are to seek the things above. We are to set our minds on the things above, namely Christ. We're to have our eyes set on Christ. But then he also says, verse five, to put to death the sin that is in us, and then verse 12, to put on these virtues that we just read about. Uh, verse 9 sums it up well. He's calling the Christians to put off the old self and put on the new self. 
And it's interesting to me that he uses this picture of clothing, put off and put on. Uh, why that picture? Well, one reason I can think of is that clothing is part of how we present ourselves to others, right? Uh, a t-shirt and no shoes presents one thing. In the right context, it's not wrong. A suit and tie presents something else. Uh, our clothes are, are often how we present ourselves to others. And in a similar way, the virtues that we live out in our lives are how we present ourselves to the world around us. But the other thing, and the thing that I want to focus on about this metaphor, is that it requires action. I don't know when the last time you took off a piece of clothing and put one on. I'm guessing it was this morning. If you showed up in your clothes that you slept in, that's fine. No judgment. But putting on your shirt or whatever it is this morning didn't happen by accident. It was intentional, and it required action. You had to actually put on the clothes that you were going to wear. And in the same way, love must be intentional. Love requires action. It is not the default state of human beings. If it were, we would live in a much better world. Love is a choice we make. This is why you can hear 50 sermons about love and still need to hear this one today because you need to be reminded again to choose to love. As you leave church today, as you begin work on Monday, as you have dinner with your family this week or pick up your kids from school or maybe you're a student sitting in Spanish class, how can you make the choice to love those around you? How can you be intentional to show love to those around you? Furthermore, how can you be intentional to show love to the people sitting in the row next to you? We're speaking about love in the church, the people in this room. Maybe it's in a ministry meeting later this week or a Bible study, or maybe it's simply after this service ends. How can you make the choice to love? Because putting on the garment of love is a daily choice that we must make. The first thing to see is the intentionality of love. The second thing I want us to see, though, is the motivation for love. Look again at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The motivation for us to love others is God's love for us. If we do not see ourselves as beloved by God, we will have a very difficult time loving others. Paul says it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. I like this language. He says the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. It motivates us. It drives us in how we live our lives. 1 John chapter 4 says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then he hits it really on the nose. He says, we love because he first loved us. And look here how he speaks about the church. This is beautiful. We are God's chosen ones. 
God chose us before the very foundation of the world to set his love on us. One of the great attributes of love is that love chooses. I didn't say to my wife, hey, I'd really like to marry you, but I don't want all the other women of the world to feel left out, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's a bad idea. No, no, no. One of the greatest expressions of my love for my wife is that I said, I choose you and only you for the rest of my life. Love chooses. Do you think of yourself as one who God has chosen to set his love upon you? Do you recognize that? Do you feel the weight of that, like the, the massiveness of that, but also the joy of that? And in his love for us, he has made us holy. He calls us holy, set apart, blameless, not due to our own deeds, but due to Christ. Christians are addressed in the Bible again and again as saints or holy ones. Saints, not because of our own righteousness or perfection, but because Jesus is righteous and we are in him. We are called saints. And lastly, he uses this term, beloved the NIV translates this as dearly loved. Christian, God calls you his beloved. We're never going to be able to muster up enough of our own strength to love one another. We'll burn out. We'll fade out. But if we can come to grips, if we can first be affected and impacted and motivated by God's love for us, then we can have the grace to love others. Every detail of these commandments will uh, be useful for us, but if we do not get the motivation of love, then we're going to fall short. Do you understand God's love for you? Do you understand the seriousness of your sin before him? The gravity that we have offended a great and holy God that we have rebelled. Think of how we view treason in this country. We have committed treason against the king of all kings. Our offense is great, and yet in Jesus, God has forgiven us. Colossians says that if there were this record of our sins, which is a terrifying thought, right, for all of us, if there were this record of our sins, that record was nailed to the cross when Christ was put upon it. That record of debt has been canceled, gone. Do we get the love of God for us? Do we understand it? Because it is the greatest motivation of our love for others. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. You've uh, been here attending for a while or you're watching online. And, and you've, you've never really come to understand what it is to be a Christian. Well, today is the day that you can make that choice. It is a turning from your sin and a trusting in God's love for you in the gospel. That is what it means to become a Christian. If you're just now thinking and realizing how great God's love is for you, don't let another day go by. Let today be the day that you give your life to him 
that you surrender to him. So we see the motivation of love. Third, we see the characteristics of love. Let's look again at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Five things here. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You may say, well, how can I say that these are characteristics of love? Let me talk about that for a second. In verse 14, if you look again, Paul says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the chiefest of Christian virtues that really encapsulates all the rest. In one sense, we could very much well say these are all unique and individual virtues that we might think about. But in another sense, we can say that they are all a reflection of love. Even in the great love poem of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says that love is patient. One of the things we see here. Love is kind. Again, one of the things we see here. Love does not envy or boast. Not directly, but humility and meekness. Again, these are all really, truly characteristics of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit that is listed. And in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, Paul says that the whole law can be summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So these are the characteristics we can think of, of love. Let's look at the list briefly, uh, each of these things, and reflect on them for a moment. The first thing we see is compassionate hearts. Now, compassion is having uh, mercy and pity on others. The word for heart here is actually the idea of bowels. I think, what? Well, in the Hebrew Old Testament and in much of the biblical language, the bowels are described as that kind of deep-seated, inward gut place from which flows inward affection for others. Compassion. It's, it's not just something we do every once in a while. It flows out of who we are. Compassionate hearts our hearts of love toward those in need. Jesus himself said in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Think about your own heart toward the people in this room. Is there compassion? Next, kindness. Kindness, I like to think of as goodness in action. It's, it's good moral character that expresses itself toward others. It is goodness expressed toward others. Kindness is acting in love toward others. Could there be a greater example of kindness in the Bible than Jesus giving up his life for sinners? No greater example. In what ways can you express kindness to others at VBF? Next, humility. Humility is a lowly understanding of oneself. Not that we think poorly of ourselves, not that we're always beating ourselves up, but it's lowering ourselves. It's thinking of 
not raising ourselves up above others, but going low to serve and to count others more significant than ourselves. Humility is the necessary posture that we need to love. And the humility of Jesus is outstanding when on the eve of his death, he literally, physically, but also in a more metaphorical sense, lowers himself to get down and wash the feet of his disciples. How do you view others in this room? Do you see them as lower than you? Or do you have an estimation of yourself that says, no, I'm going to take the low position. I'm going to count others more significant than myself. Fourth, meekness. Meekness can also be defined as gentleness. Meekness is like the expression of humility. When you have a humble understanding of yourself, a low understanding of yourself, you will treat others with gentleness and meekness. You could say it this way. A harsh man is likely a prideful man. A gentle man is likely a humble man. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, has this sweet invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For Jesus describes himself in this way. I am gentle and lowly in heart. The heart of Christ is gentle and lowly. And he says, and you will find rest for your souls. So when you're dealing with people in this room, and again, I think it's easier to think theoretically about these things. But I want to bring us back to, this is for us. This is for Vero Bible Fellowship. This is the love that we want to characterize our church. Or if you're visiting with us today, you can think about your own local church. But when we're dealing with people in this room in casual conversations or when we have differing opinions, are we gentle and meek toward others? Finally, fifth, patience. Patience is long-suffering, forbearance toward one another. Patience is when love endures. When love runs dry, when love runs out, that's impatience. But patience is the kind of steadfast love that the Lord has for us. Think of the patience of Christ when three times Peter denied him. And yet, the Lord still loved him, and Peter was brought to repentance and came back and was restored. Does your love for others in this room have a short shelf life? Or do you display patience with others? We need this kind of diagnostic in our life. We ran through that list pretty quickly. But we need to ask ourselves, if we want to be people of love, are we marked by compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience with others? As we walk through those, maybe you resonate with certain ones in that list. But if we're honest, and I think we are probably all aware as we walk through that, that we all fall short of these things. And so I specifically included how Christ fulfilled each of these because I love that in Romans, which again is a different letter, but Paul wrote it. He uses the same language of put off and put on to describe the Christian life, take off to put on. But he, there he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on Christ. Christ is the perfect image of God. Colossians would say he is the image of God. 
and he is the perfect example of love for us. And when we put on Christ, we have grace that covers every shortcoming, but we also have his spirit, which leads us into greater character and righteousness. These are the characteristics of love. And all these characteristics have something that I want to point out very quickly that is incredibly obvious, but I think it needs to be pointed out. We have to be in relationship with one another to do these things. You can't be a kind person out in the woods by yourself. We have to be in relationship and one of the difficulties when it comes to many churches is to have fellowship and relationship with one another. That may be you this morning. You have come to VBF for a while, and yet you don't feel connected. You don't feel like you know the people in this room. You come on a Sunday, but you leave after. And if we're honest, unless you're a m massive extrovert and grand personality, you're going to have a hard time before and after service making deep relationships. And so, I want to mention that here because this is the reason why we've launched the small groups. Uh, and it occurred to me last week whenever I talked about the small groups that I never define them, and I want to take two seconds to do that. A small group is a group that regularly meets together over a period of time, smaller in size, typically in someone's home, but the purpose is to build relationship and to grow in faith with one another. You might typically walk through a book of the Bible or a book on theology. That's what small groups are. And to be clear, small groups are not the only way to do this. You do not have to be in a small group. We can build relationships with one another in Sunday school, in Bible studies, maybe a prayer meeting, maybe a social event that the church has. Again, if you're an extrovert, you might be building relationships just on a Sunday. But for many of us, even in these other contexts, we struggle. And that's why we are providing the small groups, because they've been a great way to um, have a place to build relationship, to get to be known. Uh, this past week, we had a meeting with all the small group leaders that are going to be leading each of the groups. And it was a wonderful meeting, because we have awesome leaders who are going to be helping us in launching these things. And we talked about the pillars of these groups being fellowship and discipleship building relationship with one another, and helping one another grow spiritually. And so if that's you, if that's a need for you, if you're thinking, I don't know that I display any of these things toward anybody in this room, because I'm not known, because I don't know others, then please um, stop by the table uh, after church, and we'd love to talk to you about that. So that is the characteristics of love. Two more. I want us to see forth the requirement of love. Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This might be the hardest thing in this verse, that we would forgive one another. But the title of the sermon is Love Forgivingly. What is required of us if we are to love? What is required is forgiveness. We're to forgive one another, again, because God has forgiven us. Right there. 
as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, the motivation for our love is God's love and forgiveness toward us. But he comes back to it at the end. You must forgive. There's a strong language here. It is required for love. And the language of forgiveness in the Bible is really shocking. Jesus, several times, will say something to the effect of, if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father does not forgive you. That's serious language. That's significant. To be clear, we don't earn God's forgiveness when we've forgiven enough people or displayed that. But F.F. Uh, F. Bruce puts it this way, an unforgiving spirit in us is an effective barrier to the reception of God's forgiveness. Uh, an unforgiving spirit in us shows that we probably have not received the forgiveness of God. Jesus tells this parable, and he uses the, uh, this story about a king wishing to settle accounts with his servants. One servant comes, and the amount of money listed is ridiculous in the parable. Like, it's, it's hopeless. It's, you could never, there's no payment plan to pay it off for the rest of your life. It is the deepest of debts. There's no hope for this guy to pay. But he pleads with the servant, or he pleads with the king, and he says, please have mercy on me. And the king says, you know what? I'm going to forgive that massive debt. Well, then the servant goes. He finds another guy who owes him money. And he begins choking the guy out. And he says, pay me my money or I'm going to throw you into jail. How much did that guy owe him? A day's worth of wages. A single day. Guy doesn't have the money on hand and so gets the authorities to throw this guy in prison. The king gets word and hears and comes back to the servant. And he says, could you not have forgiven this man? with the great debt that I forgave you. And he takes that servant, and he throws that servant in prison. That's a parable that Jesus uses to illustrate this, that if we are not willing to forgive others, we have not truly understood how great a debt Christ has forgiven us. How many times are we to forgive? Peter says seven. That seems like a pretty high number. Jesus says 77. It's not that we count to 77, it's that he's expressing that our forgiveness is endless. The requirement of Christian love is that we forgive. I remember uh, Andy saying to me a while ago something to this effect. I had seen somebody who had personally hurt my family, and I hadn't seen him for a while, and I remember I saw them, and it stirred up in me anger. It stirred up in me kind of a resentment. And I went home, and I, I just kind of passingly said to her, I, I don't know that I've fully forgiven them. And she looked at me, and she said, well, that's really serious. Because you know the Bible says that if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. And it pressed upon me, and I thought, you know what? I, I need to go to the Lord, and I need to forgive right now. Side note, anyone looking for a wife, any young guys, that's the kind of wife you want. Um... But the requirement of love is that we forgive one another. It is, it is a significant thing. Who do you need to forgive in this room? Go and forgive them. 
Make it right for the sake of your own soul and for the sake of them. We need to forgive one another. Finally, the final aspect of Christian love in the church that I want us to see is the result of love. Look at verse 14. And above all these things, put on love. Again, the the language of putting on the clothing of love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What is the result of love? It's unity. It's harmony in the church. Again, love binds all these virtues together, yes, but just not the detached virtues like the ideas of kindness and humility are bound by love. No, no, no. Like, actually, the people who are being kind, who are forgiving, who are showing humility and gentleness to one another, we are bound together in perfect harmony by love. The result of our love is unity. In verse 11, uh, Paul had just said, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The, not going to talk about what each of those things mean, but the very uh, simple picture is that we don't have differences in Christ. We are one in Christ, united in Christ by his love. If we want to be used of the Lord in this community, we want to be people that are on mission for the Lord in Vero Beach and the surrounding communities. We must be united. The surest way to cripple a church, to be effective as a witness in the mission for God, is to have disunity in that church, to divide the church, to split the church, to splinter the church. Unity is the key for our witness and our mission. And even as we embark on this new building, we need to be united. There's going to be things as we get in there and as we set up and as we do projects. But even once it's all set up and we get in there and we have different ideas for ministries or ways we want to do things, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for disunity. But we cannot let our eyes sway from the calling of Christian love in our church. We must stand united. We must be united, even in this building project. So, the questions today for you are, have you known the love of God? Has it impacted you? Do you know it? Because it is the motivation for our love. And if you have known the love of God, then think, how can I act? How can I look at these characteristics as almost kind of a diagnostic for my life and think about these different areas that I might grow in? How might I ask the Lord to do these things in me? How might I forgive? And also let us remember that the result of our love is that we would be a unified church who stands for him. So let us strive for love. Remember that the intentionality of love is that we must choose to love one another. Remember the motivation of love, God's love for us. Remember the characteristics of love, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Remember the requirement of love, forgiveness, and remember the result of love, unity. I close with this uh, prayer that we sang earlier from that song, Holy Spirit. Really beautiful. Uh, speaking about uh, the
the kind of people we want God to make us to be. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come abide within. May your joy be seen in all we do. Love enough to cover every sin in each thought and deed and attitude. Kindness to the greatest and the least. Gentleness that sows the path of peace. Turn our strivings, Lord, into works of grace. Breath of God, show Christ in all we do. We need your help by the power of your spirit to be a people that are marked by love, Lord. And so we ask that you would do just that in us. Shape us into people that love forgivingly toward one another. That we might be used by you in this community. We love you. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.